Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Three boys are in the schoolyard bragging about their dads. The first boy says, my dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper and he calls it a poem and they give him $50. The second boy says, that's nothing. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper and calls it a song and they give him $100. The third boy says, I got you both beat. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a sermon and it takes eight people to collect the money every week. I'm not too sure about the applause, but thank you anyway. It definitely makes me very awkward. This past few weeks we've been speaking about celebrating miracles as a church. And who believes that God still does miracles? I believe that he still does miracles. And I don't believe it was only in the Bible that God did miracles and he stopped doing them today. I believe that the Father, heart of God, is that he wants to pour out his supernatural uh, power upon us and bless us. And last week we spoke about supernatural provision and you heard a few testimonies, I'm sure, um, about provision this week. And I just want to keep encouraging you to keep having faith for supernatural provision. Do you know that God wants to bless you in such a way that you can't take credit for it, but only He can? That is a high-level blessing. Yes, he loves to use your gifts and talents he's given you, but there's certain times in life where he wants to bless you with his goodness in such a crazy way that when people look at your life, they say, God must be real. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm laying a hold of that. And in the Bible, it talks about how the goodness of God will bring the fear of the Lord. And and I encourage you to welcome the goodness of God into your life. Because the question is this, if people looked at our lives today, do they see the fingerprint of God? If someone looked at your life and didn't know you were a Christian, if you're a Christian here, is your life so set apart that they would say, God must be real. What a challenging thought. Have a think about it with me. Let it sink into your heart. Is our life so set apart that people can recognise that we are a set apart people? Interesting, hey? How different are you to your workmates? How different are you to your family and friends who don't know Christ yet? There should be a distinction. There should be a difference. There should be um, an outpouring of blessing and favour on your life and my life, so much so that it is actually incomparable to what the world has to offer. That's very good. It's tough in the natural to try and produce that. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, We can be people who receive a supernatural blessing. And there is a reason why in the life of Jesus, you don't just see him being just a good person with good morals. You see him being a good person with good morals who had signs and wonders following him. 
people were drawn to Jesus, not just because he was a nice person, but because there was something more supernaturally upon his life. The Bible says that the apostles were set apart. They, they knew the apostles because they had signs and wonders following them. I know this is trying to take us a little bit deeper, a little bit how is my life right now, but it comes back to having uh, mustard seeds, seed faith to believe God that he can move mountains in and through your life. <laughs> because often as Christians, and again, if you're not a Christian here today, you can make a decision for Christ, but often as Christians, we can speak Christianese, we can say the right words, and we can mean those words, but our fruit can sometimes not match up with our confession. And so we have to make sure that our confession lines up with our fruits. <laughs> How's your marriage? How's your family? How's your business? How's your work ethic? How's your character? How's your finance? How are your relationships? Do you see the fingerprint of God? Because if you can't really, and you can, you can, you know, oh, well, I can see it, but can other people see the fruit? By their fruit, you will know them. So therefore, we have this normality that God gives us, and the normality is this. You will do greater works than Jesus. Pray on earth as it is in heaven. Therefore, whatever is in heaven, we must declare here on earth. What is our vision as a church? Well, it's to celebrate God, people, life locally, uh, nationally and globally. And it's to bring heaven to earth. <laughs> I have no doubt that if you had a golden ticket, not Willy Wonka, maybe Willy Wonka style, a golden ticket and you put it on eBay and that ticket was a ticket to heaven, who knows that the bids to that ticket would be very, very high. There would be riots over the ticket to heaven. Yeah? A place with no pain, with no brokenness, where the streets are paved with gold, where it is perfection. And the interesting thing, though, is that Jesus tells us to pray this audacious prayer which is to pray on earth as it is in heaven. I am a simple thinker. I love simplicity. I am not too complicated so that we can't get it. We have the golden ticket. Celebration Church has the grace and the mandate and the calling and the river of heaven coursing through its veins. If somebody who didn't know Christ walked into our doors, and hopefully that is our normal, would there be such a difference in the atmosphere of this place that they would say, this must be heaven? This is not a pipe dream. It is not a prosperity-only message. This is our reality. 
Why is it sometimes churches can feel dull, boring, judgmental? All these things, it's because we've forgotten that our anointing and grace is to pray the prayer on earth as it is in heaven. Today's message is about the miracle of restored relationships. But we have to understand that when a restored relationship takes place, you give someone a glimpse of heaven. Amen, good preaching. I'm going to pat myself on the back because that is great. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. We have to start with the heart of reconciliation. The heart of reconciliation is this. It's when two come together and there is healing that takes place. There is a reconnection that takes place. And the heart of reconciliation starts with the heart of the Father. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So Adam and Eve broke relationship in the Garden of Eden. Through Christ Jesus, there is a reconciliation, an option to come before God again in perfect harmony through the blood of Jesus. Next week, we have Easter. If you have any neighbour, any family, any friend who does not know the reconciliation of the joy of having a relationship with the Father, please bring them to those services. The wedding banquet is not just for you and I. What if they say no? What if they say yes? Why? There is joy in reconciliation. So the heart of the Father is this. The heart of the Father is to have hearts that are reconciled. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.18. It says, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through, through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice that. Gave you the ministry of what, church? Reconciliation. What's my ministry? Reconciliation. I'm trying to find my ministry in church. Your ministry is reconciliation. To restore people to the Father and to restore people with each other. Yeah? How cool is that? Through Christ Jesus. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, and through God, we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the heart of the Father is to be reconciled or to bring reconciliation. It doesn't matter what your past is or your mistake has been. The power of the cross is greater than the worst sinner's sin. Now, we love that. We love it but we often don't like the outworking of it because we want people to feel judged if they've done really terrible things. (laughs) It's true. It's called having justice. The scandal of the cross is that no matter what you've done, 
if you come to the Father through Christ, He will forgive you and reconcile you to His heavenly Father. But you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know what that person has done. Have you heard about that? Have you seen that? Who cares? It's not my issue. It is the Father's issue. Our job is to connect people to the Father. What is my ministry? Reconciliation. <laughs> Jesus and Peter are a great example of this. I love, I love this, this example. Where Peter, and you remember this with me, Peter was one of Jesus' top three. Did Jesus have favourites? Yeah, he kind of did. He took three to the Mount Transfiguration. He didn't take them all. And what happened was this, is that he says to Peter, the guy that chopped off somebody's ear because they were going to try and arrest Jesus, talk about a zealous friendship. You imagine if someone said something about one of your friends and you got out that sword and chopped their ear off. It's a bit violent. Yeah, Peter, that's pretty violent. That guy, Peter... The guy that walked on the water, because he had such a great vision of Jesus, even if just for a moment, that Peter ends up denying Jesus at the cross. In Jesus' most weakened state, someone says, aren't you Peter? Aren't you the one that was the disciple of Jesus? And Peter says, who, what? I don't know that guy. I don't know that weirdo. I don't. Who? I mean, don't even. I'm, I'm embarrassed you would even ask me. And then, so then three times this happens. Talk about failure. Three times it happens. Denies Jesus. By the way, he was warned that he was going to do it. <laughs> he had the heads up. It wasn't a bad day. He knew. He hears the rooster crow. He goes, oh, this is a terrible day. Jesus dies on the cross, rises again. Peter's gone back to fishing. He's gone back to his old life. He's gone back to his past. You think about this in a modern Christian setting. He's left and he's gone back to his old way of life. He's walked away from his relationship with God. He's gone back and he's now back to what he used to know. What does Jesus do? Jesus says, goes for a walk on the beach and finds Peter. And then Jesus cooks Peter breakfast. The best fish sandwiches for breakfast. Fish and eggs. Forget bacon and eggs, it was fish and eggs. They were Jewish as well, so that was more fitting. I couldn't eat bacon. Imagine Peter... He denied Christ. He had walked away from Christ. He had walked away from basically, it looked like his faith. And you would think that Jesus would have come with a, you knew better. I warned you. I told you. I, war I, I even sent a rooster. <laughs> no, he doesn't do that, does he? He goes and he says, hey, let me serve you, Peter. You sit down, Peter. Let me serve you. 
Let me show you my, my heart of love. And then he speaks, and he, and he speaks identity over Peter. He speaks that I'm going to now build my church on you. Peter's thinking, I am a failure. I have completely stuffed it up. And, and Jesus says, it's gone. You are Peter. You are like a rock that I will build my church on. And Peter goes on to be one of the great, great uh, apostles, one of the great leaders of the New Testament because Jesus came with a heart of reconciliation. If Peter done that to Jesus' face, what excuse do we have? So when it comes to reconciliation, we have to understand reconciliation has to have two key elements. The first one is this, humility. You can't have heal relationship without humility. The second thing is this, there has to be an element of forgiveness. You can't have heal relationship without forgiveness. Now this morning, you're going to hear me speaking about relationship, the word relationship. What do I mean by relationship? I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about relationship with family. I'm talking about it could be a marital relationship, a romantic relationship. It could be a friendship. It could be a relationship with other people. It covers all those different things. So when you hear the word relationship, don't just think romance. It covers a bunch of things. So when it comes to reconciliation in relationship, you have to have a heart of humility. It's hard to reconcile if you have pride. Actually, I'll go so far as to say you can't reconcile if you have pride. And there must be an element of forgiveness. You know that reconciliation is more beautiful than victory. Reconciliation is better than being right. (laughs) Anyone here who's experienced marriage knows that peace is better than being right. Can I hear an amen? (laughs) Sometimes your love for your spouse, it's not about who was right or wrong. It's about the fact that you want to be reconciled. Do you know that reconciliation is one of the highest levels of maturity? If you're writing notes, write that down because it's very good. At some point, I will speak about what a mature Christian looks like, but I'll give you a tip. It's not the one who speaks in tongues the loudest or the one who does the most miracles. It's the one who knows how to reconcile with others. Today I want to speak about two different areas. The first one is reconciliation with each other and the second one is reconciliation with the Father. And we must have hearts that are believing God for reconciliation with others and, and the miracle of reconciliation of others with God. Have you ever had a fallout with somebody? Have you ever had an experience or a time where you were once close to somebody and you're no longer close to that person. I remember many years ago, there was somebody and they had really hurt me and hurt people that I, who were close to me. To the point where, and this is, and I was just mar- married to Charlie, and I woke up one Saturday morning 
And I had this random thought, and I hadn't seen this person for two years. And I said to Charlie, I just, actually, I didn't even say this. I actually, I, I checked my phone, and I had the person's number still, and I texted them and said, hey, what are you doing this morning? Do you want to get coffee? I hadn't spoken or seen this person in a couple of years, and then we had last seen each other. It hadn't been very good. There was a lot of hurt involved. And then I informed Charlie, um, I just texted such and such. And she said, what? I said, yeah, I'm going to go see them for coffee this morning. She was freaking out. She knew how much damage this person had done to my soul and to our family. So she was protective. I said to her, I said, it's very bizarre. It's very weird to me. But I just have a sense that I need to do this today. I went and met with them over at Fast and Fresh. That's what it was called back in the day. When I saw them and they saw, saw me, it was a really weird supernatural thing because, again, this was a relationship that had fallen apart. And I found myself hugging this person. And then we were both in tears because we both sensed this moment of reconciliation. And we sat down and this person said to me, well, I said to them, I said, listen, I said, it's been two years. This person was close to me. One of those things where they don't get, you know, they weren't at your wedding, but they probably should have been through broken relationship. And I said to them, I said, if there's anything I've done, I want to say I'm sorry if I've done anything to hurt you. Whether knowingly or unknowingly, I just want to say I'm sorry. And the person sat there and they did the same thing back and they said, I'm, they said, I'm sorry. And they said, I know what I, I did was wrong. And I know what I was involved with was wrong. And I can now see it two years later. And they said, I just want to say I'm sorry as well. And we sat there for half an hour, caught up, gave each other a hug. I went home and my spirit felt light. <laughs> my, my soul felt like it was healed to a degree. When there was a brokenness with this relationship, it felt like something had been mended. Now, I ha I, it doesn't mean I have to be friends with this person or hang out, but if I see them down the street now, there is a freedom in my spirit. I wasn't ready two years before that to see them. My heart wasn't ready. My soul wasn't ready. But for some reason, there was a grace that day for reconciliation. See, when you're led by the Holy Spirit, there's these windows that happen and it's like, now's the moment. And I reckon if I would have done it six months beforehand, it probably didn't, wouldn't have panned out the same way. But for some reason that day, there was a grace. And I got home and I said to Charlotte, I feel different. I feel like I feel lighter. I feel like it was the right moment. And the funny thing is, or the interesting thing is, the love that I felt for that person was deep. As, as we left, I was like, I, I, I feel like, you know how the Bible says, pray for your enemy? Yeah. That can be a decision, but I felt in my heart you know, I, I have so much love for that person now. Where there was brokenness, there's now love. 
Again, it doesn't mean that I need to be best friends with them, but it means that in my spirit, there was a freedom. And that's what it's like with reconciliation, the miracle of reconciliation. Colossians chapter three, verse 13, if you have your Bibles. And this morning, allow the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind maybe someone or people or who you think I need to reconcile in my heart. Remember, you have to have humility and you have to have forgiveness. If you lack one of those, it's hard to reconcile. If you feel like, yeah, but they were wrong and I was right, and therefore I'm justified in my unforgiveness, you will never enjoy the sweetness of reconciliation. So you have to get to a place of forgiveness in grace. Remember, grace is undeserved. Yeah. Colossians 3 verse 13. It says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Why don't you say forgive? as the Lord forgave you. Now who here has been forgiven by the Lord? Who here would admit they've been forgiven by the Lord very deeply? (laughs) Like, He's really forgiven me. Okay, so that depth, we're called to pass on to others. And now who would also admit that you were not worthy of that forgiveness? Yeah, okay, I wasn't either. Like, I've stuffed up many times in my life. It's not because I... You know, pray to prayer 50 times and therefore I'm forgiven. It's because of his amazing grace. Let me, I'm just going to share a few stories of, of forgiveness and reconciliation this morning. Is that okay? All right. So it was a cold night on February 2007 when the car holding Chris Williams and his family was hit by a 17 year old drunk driver. Immediately, Chris checked on his children in the back seat and realised that his 11-year-old son and 9-year-old daughter had died. Then as he watched his pregnant wife sitting next to him um, breathe her last breath, meanwhile, Williams was in so much pain he would hardly move his arm to turn off the car ignition. However, before he had been rescued from his car, Williams thought to himself, whoever has done this, I will forgive them. I don't care what the circumstances are, I will forgive them. He proved good to his word, going on to publicly forgive the family's killer and developing a relationship with him and his family. Today, Williams is a motivational speaker sharing his incredible story of healing and forgiveness and inspiring others to extend mercy and forgiveness as well. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. In 1 Peter 4.8, it says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sin. That's such a powerful scripture. Have you ever had someone who's a Christian tell you about someone else's sin? I've had that. Normally it sounds like this. Brother so-and-so, not that we say brother so-and-so, or sister so-and-so, needs prayer. Have you heard what they've done? We need to have a prayer meeting because this person has been into this type of thing. Without realising it, we have exposed that person's sin. 
You see, forgive one another, for love covers. And I think as the church, we have to be very, very good. I'm not saying hiding each other's sin in like a scandal. I'm saying this. I'm saying if someone's struggling and they confide in you, pray with them, commit it to God, but don't go sell somebody else. The church is called to be a safe place. How are we ever going to confess our sins to each other so that we might be healed if we know that there is a gossip culture? We have to be very good at protecting each other. Here's another story of reconciliation and forgiveness. In an interview, domestic violence survivor Pascal Kavana said that she never thought she would reconnect with her mother, her abuser, during her adult life. However, in 2010, her mother suffered several strokes that left her unable to communicate or take care of herself. With no one else to help, Kavana began to sit by her mother's bedside and read to her. Through this, Kavana says the hate she had for her mother dissipated into forgiveness and love. How amazing. Am I saying that if someone's abused you, you should go and have a relationship with them? No. What I'm saying is this, we must be great at forgiveness. (laughs) Mary Johnson lost her son in 1993 after a then-teenage guy named Osha Israel got into a fight with him at a party and shot him. With so much unanswered, Johnson went to visit Osha in jail. After their first contact, I began to feel this movement in my feet, Johnson told the newspaper. It moved up my legs and it showed up in my body. When I thought it leave me instantly, I knew that all the anger and hatred and animosity I had in my heart for you for 12 years was over and I had totally forgiven you. The two now live as neighbours in the same duplex and Johnson has even referred to uh, Israel as son in interviews. I admire you for being brave enough to offer forgiveness and for being brave enough to take that step, Israel told the Daily Beast. It motivates me to make sure I stay on the right path. You imagine becoming so close to the killer that now you refer to them as your son. The very one who killed your son is now someone you call your own. This is the power of reconciliation. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of being set apart and being different. We struggle with offences much, much less than this. That person said this about me. That preacher said this from the front. The music was too loud. <laughs> that person at church judged me. Whatever the offence might be, we actually have to get a check up from the neck up. Yeah. Well, from the heart up anyway. If somebody whose own son was killed, imagine going and visiting your son's killer in hospital. You can compare it back to the the scripture, Peter and Jesus. 
You imagine the power of that amazing reconciliation. It says in Matthew chapter 5, actually, why don't we turn here, Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 5 verse 23. Is this okay this morning? Yeah. Please don't feel like you know this stuff. You know a level of it, but there are deeper levels to discover. <laughs> I remember in my early youth pastor days, so many years ago, we had an inter, inter-church event. And back then our youth ministry, and even now our youth ministry is amazing, back then it was this inter-church event. And because we were a bigger youth ministry, we ended up being the church that was providing the band or most of the band and the games and the different things. And there was another youth pastor who, I don't know what happened, but got very upset with me after the event. And I found out they were upset with me because they felt like our team hadn't pulled their weight. You have to understand our team set up the event, put on the event, and pretty much packed down the event, yeah? I think the issue was that we might have had more young people at the event than they had. I think that might have been the issue. Anyway, this, this, this youth pastor was very upset with me, very upset. Sent me text messages that were very strong. There was one Sunday morning, it was the next morning, a Saturday night event, Sunday morning. Remember those texts back in the day when I was like part one, part two, part three? Aww. It was a three-parter. Or my Sony Ericsson, whatever it was back then or whatever I had. Yeah, back when we had credit. I still have credit. Anyway. Yeah, the Blackberry back then. And I remember sitting in the car on a Sunday morning having youth pastor hangover, which you don't know what that is. Every youth leader gets this, where they work their butt off at youth. It's an exhausting night. And the next morning, you just feel like you're exhausted. Yeah, and then there's these hero youth leaders who then get up and go to work the next morning. And I'm like, that's amazing. So this is that for Sunday morning. And I sat there in the car and I was like, oh, this person is having a go at me and my team. Now, I'm okay if you have a go at me, but you have a go at my team. You get, you get the, the staff comes out a bit, especially when I know how much my team gave. Yeah, so... <laughs> You know, your team don't have any character, integrity, blah, blah, blah. Pretty strong statements. And I remember trying to process it, and I had this sense in my heart of forgive and encourage. So instead of writing back and saying, pull your head in your wally, what are you talking about? Instead of justifying myself and my team, which I had every right to do, I just said to them, listen, I said, I'm sorry if we've offended you at all. I said, we value you. We thank you for your heart for the youth of this city. I said, we stand with you and we're here for you. You know that person, their response, what happens is it diffuses. Their response wasn't a three-part aggressive message. Their response was, oh, we love you too. (laughs) We love your youth ministry. 
Obviously, that person was going through something. And I could have, in my own right, come back with a strong response. But instead, I decided to have humility and forgiveness. In that moment, a bit of heaven happened. A bit of the reality and atmosphere of heaven happened. So it says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. It says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. So that Sunday morning, I could have just done what I do. For me, that's me giving my gift at the altar, being in church, giving financially, serving, that's me offering something at the altar. But no, no, I had to deal with something first so that my worship may be pure. Do you know that whenever you think, I'll deal with that later, that offence, that hurt, that, that thing in your heart, unforgiveness, when you put that to the side and get on with it, it diminishes your worship. Because your worship is found in humility and forgiveness. Think about this with me. We have to understand that God is not bamboozled by our great voices on a Sunday. He sees the argument in the car on the way to church. I've been there. Any any married couples been there? The discussion in the car park? Trying to get for us, get our son ready, trying to there's pressure about to preach, all this. Yes, you let out a few, you know, unkind things out of your mouth. No, no, get off the stage, but I go and make it right with your wife. Then come back and offer something that God will be blessed by, which is genuineness. It's realness. It's humility. It's forgiveness. It's love. Can I hear an Amen. I know this sounds simple, but how many times do we fall short in these areas? Right now in your heart, be real, think about, is there anybody in your life that you currently have offence with? That you currently have hurt with, that you have not squared away? Again, it doesn't mean you have to have a relationship with that person, but in your heart, are you free? You know if you're not free, because when you think about them, you go, ugh, hmm. When you see him down the street, you duck behind the pole if you can fit. <laughs> you duck into that shop. I didn't want to see that person. Hey, some people are annoying and you might do it anyway, but for some people, it's because you haven't forgiven them. You don't want to face it. I love this in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. This is such a great promise. It says, He will turn the hearts of of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to the parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. He will turn the hearts of children to parents and parents to children. The heart of reconciliation. It says in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it talks about the life of the prodigal son. 
And I love this. It says in verse 20, it says, if you didn't know, for those who are new Christians here, this the son is there with his father and, and he's got a brother and he says to his father, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to take my inheritance and I want to go live in the world and party hard. Literally. He takes his inheritance, goes into the world and parties. Hits up the, I guess the clubs back then maybe, I don't know. Literally spends his money on good times out there, whatever the equivalent was back in those days. To the point where he's living a rebellious life. A life away from God, the Father represents God. It says, he gets to the place where he says to himself, I have no more money. I'm working in a pig house, pig house, a farm, and I'm feeding the pig slops. And the slops I feed, I'm feeding them is better than the food I'm getting, so I might even eat the slops myself. He has a realisation, I need to go home. This life is not for me. I need to go home because even the servants were getting better food in my father's house than what I'm getting now. And it says in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, so we got up and went to, the, to his father. And it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, throwing his arms around him and kissed him. And he said to him, father, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you, against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, the best clothes, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, which signifies part of the family. And sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For his son was my, uh, of mine was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost, but now is found. So they began to celebrate. The older brother gets jealous. And has a whinge. <laughs> and the dad just says, My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. The power of the gospel of reconciliation to the father that we can live lives, even as people who have walked with Christ. We can go back to the slop sometimes, but the Father is full of compassion. You know that when he ran towards his son, it was undignified. It would have been embarrassing. Dads didn't run back then. <laughs> they actually didn't. It was a custom. I'm not running. Anything you run to me. He humbled himself, the father, and embraced his son. And the son humbled himself and embraced his father. And there was a mighty, mighty celebration. The power of reconciliation, the miracle of reconciliation, is that we have a father who will cause us, through his love, through his grace, through his compassion, he pours that, out, pours that out upon us. We can come home. We can find grace, forgiveness, the best robe, the best food. I've had people over the years, it's amazing in church, say, oh, I felt sorry for the older brother. It's because they are the older brother. 
They've missed the whole point. They've forgotten grace. And so this morning, we're believing for restoration of relationships. But we have to firstly start with making sure the house is in order. Are we reconciled to each other? Are we reconciled to those in our community who we need to be reconciled to? Are we a church of forgiveness? Are we a church of embracing? Are we in church of saying, yes, come home? Or are we a church of judgment? A church of no way, you've, you've had your chance. Because you never know what's happening in the heart of a prodigal. But now, why do you do altar calls every week? Because in the room, there might be somebody who's on the edge of saying, Father, I'm running home. But it's a bit annoying. Lunch has to happen soon. No, it's not. I love Ryan's testimony. He came home. Pastor John Alex did such a great job. He's saying, listen, you, it doesn't matter what's happened. It's a new day. And listen, Ryan could do that 20 times and they'll still be the same response. Because we are a church family who has arms open, hearts open, who says it's okay, we support you, we love you. We are not a clicky church. It's your first time in church, you're alone, sit next to me. Don't worry about social distancing. We won't tell anybody. You can sit next to me. And then we're also a church family who has a full confidence that God is on the case of people's lives. That we're believing for reconciliation in people's lives with the Father. That if there's people you know who need that God encounter, that God is able. That God doesn't give up. When we're unfaithful, who is He? He is faithful. <laughs> He's not dictated to by me and my emotion and what I think is fair and just. He is completely above it all. And so, Father, we say yes to that. We say yes to being a church of the prodigals coming home. Because, and I'll finish with this, but you're going to remember, when you make mistakes, the prodigal is an example of this, especially someone who's known the Lord. You make mistakes, shame covers you. And shame is this gross cloud. You can't see it but you can hear it in people's words. You hear it in their actions. You hear it in, I'm not worthy. I can't. You don't understand. I know what shame feels like. I've made mistakes in my life. I know what it's like to carry a sense of, I need God and I can't do anything without you, but I feel so rotten still. You've got to break shame. Because we, we carry shame because we feel like it's, like it's like penance. Like if I feel shame, I'm paying a price. If I feel bad about that, 
for the next 5, 10, 15 years. Some of us in this room are carrying shame from 20 years ago. Mistakes you made, things that happened. And the Father says, let the shame go. Because you can never enter into the fullness of God carrying shame. And if you have never experienced that type of shame, one day you might. Because one day you might just trip up. It's part of being human, I guess. But when it happens, let it go and be reconciled with the Father. This is God's heart for you and I. Why is it important that we invite our friends and family along to a corporate gathering? Because they can hear messages like this. And maybe you can't articulate it like that, but maybe someone else can for you. Bring in the prodigals. Bring in those who don't yet know the Father. Bring in those who seem like they're happy outwardly, but internally are going through pain and destruction. My wife's amazing (laughs) because one thing she does really well, she, she she has healing hugs. Healing hugs. It sounds very weird. But she says it to me. She says, sometimes when I hug people, I feel God healing them. I'm like, yeah, it's true. Definitely God's healed me through my wife. And so she says, whenever I'm down the street and I see someone and I know they don't like me or our church or my husband, I go out of my way to hug them. If they give me the cold shoulder, I go in for the hug. Because I believe kindness breaks down walls. Because sometimes people don't like, like as a pastor, people, I represent something. I represent a church. I represent God. So people get angry at God. They get angry at the person in the flesh because they can't see God. So they go, who else can I get angry at? The leaders, the pastor, the Christian. So some people don't like you. But Charlotte's like, no, I'm going to hug them. And she was saying to me, I saw such and such down the street today. And I thought, and they, they looked at me and looked away. And she said, so I went up to their table and I said, hey, how are you going? So good to see you. Hug. <laughs> and she says, I refuse to give anybody the power to dictate the atmosphere when it comes to heaven touching earth. Don't get me wrong, she's not forcing hugs on people. Get away from me, hug me, hug me. No, no. She'll wait for them to hug back, but most people politely will. But once she's got them in her arms, get ready. The healing anointing's coming. (laughs) But you know that you're the same. You have healing rivers in you. And when that person is disrespectful to you, speaks about you, gossips about you, hurts your family, hurts you, you have healing in you. You're above the noise. You're above the noise. You're above the hurt. You're above the pain. You have this river of grace. (laughs) How amazing is that? 
And so what we're going to do as we finish today, I want you to ask yourself the question, is God prompting you to reconcile with anybody? Start in the room. Is there anyone in the room you're thinking, man, I've got attitude with that person? Reconcile. Humility, forgiveness. Remember, reconciliation isn't determined on them saying sorry to you. It's about you forgiving them. It wasn't about that youth past of feeling like they were in the wrong as well or I was in the wrong. Reconciliation is higher than victory or who's right and who's wrong. So is there somebody that, or someone that God's saying in your heart you need to forgive? And also, by the way, you don't need to tell everyone you're forgiving, that you're forgiving them. You might do more damage then. You had an issue with me? I didn't even know. Oh, no, now there's an issue. Like, Is there anybody in our city or in your family who the Holy Spirit is just saying, I'm prompting you to to forgive them through his grace through his power through his because we're weak in this we need his help let's have a little pray why don't you close your eyes just have a little moment let's just take a moment before we finish Father if there's anyone you're calling us to reconcile to bring the ministry of reconciliation to just bring it to our attention Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, that we'll be a free people. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Just take a moment. Thank you, Holy Spirit. As your eyes are closed, the second thing is this. If you're believing for reconciliation with the Father for somebody else, And I personally believe we should all have someone on our heart who are believing that they would have reconciliation with the Father. And it might be a first-time decision or it might be a prodigal situation. So Father, bring that to our attention. We just commit that to you. We say, yes, you are able. Yes, you are the Father who runs to the prodigal. We ask you, Lord, to do miracles of relational restoration. Father, I pray for anybody in this place or online, Father, who have had fallouts in relationship. Maybe there's been years of no contact. I ask, Father, for favour and open doors. I ask, Father, that there'll be um, miracles because, Lord, we know that with restoration, miracles have to be a part of that. We thank you for the ministry of reconciliation. We thank you that you've given us that ministry to be reconcilers. And Father, as everyone has their eyes closed, I just pray if there's anyone in this place whose heart is not close to you, who have never made a decision for you or who have, but their heart has wandered, they are the prodigal. Father, I pray that in this moment they would say, I come back to you, Heavenly Father. And if that's you, as everyone has their eyes closed, I just encourage you to put your hand up and say, I'm coming back. Awesome, I see that hand. I see that hand over here. I see that hand. Just put it up high. 
awesome. The father runs to the prodigal, full of compassion, full of grace. Anybody else this morning, you want to say, yes, that's me. I come running. Let's pray this prayer together in Jesus' name. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sin. And this morning, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. I run into your arms. I declare, Jesus, that I believe in you and you are my Lord and Saviour. And Holy Spirit, help me every day to walk with my Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.